Hi there, friends. So today, August 27, 2020, is going to mark my first actual day of sobriety. I am committed to it. I'm going to prioritize it. Prior to this, I have been talking to somebody, and yesterday I acted out, and I saw how I behaved, and he had enough self-respect, and I think respect for me to realize this isn't going to happen right now, you know? I'm not in a place where I can pursue anything sexual or emotional with somebody without it being without it being um, kind of detrimental to my recovery process. And I said yesterday in my step one that I only had 30% willingness. Well, that got bumped up to 100% willingness. That 70% happened overnight. And I am 100% in this. And I don't always trust myself because I've, I've done things that are very questionable and I'm really good at changing my mind about things. But this is one of those things, this addiction thing where I need to take care of it. I can't keep ignoring it. And the more I keep ignoring it and the more I try to find the easy way out of it, the worse it's going to get. You know, um, I woke up this morning sobbing. I had a dream where it was kind of like a like an inner child kind of dream, except my inner my inner child were these two blonde white girls. They were about seven. It was interesting. And then I, I, I wasn't one of them. And then I was one of them. And then I got to a certain place. It was like in a theater or something. And um, I remember saying, this is the this is the part where you cry. <laughs> and I started crying and I actually woke up sobbing. And this happened a few weeks ago too. And psychologically, this is part of, this is like a healing process. So I see it as a very positive thing. Yesterday was also the last day of this 40 day prayer session that I had initiated like 40 days ago, where I wanted, I wanted God to give me guidance so that I didn't, so that I could live a more fulfilling life. And what timing, you know? And I think the past few days I had been acting out in really, really intense ways, in ways that I haven't acted out in a, in a long time. I hadn't been doing that for a long time. And I think that was to show me, oh shit, girl, you need help. Like, you need to take care of this because this is not who you want to be. And I know it deep in my heart. I do not want to be chaotic. I do not want to be psychotic, right? And in order for me to overcome that, I need to take sobriety very seriously. And sex and love addiction is a process addiction. So it's different from NA or AA where it's, it's you know, you, you can't, you can't, um, take those substances or you can't drink. This is more like you have to figure out what your own bottom lines are. And bottom line behaviors are self-defined activities where you refrain from in order to experience physical, mental, emotional, sexual, spiritual wholeness. And I got that from the SLAA website. So I'm thinking about what my bottom lines are. And my biggest one is getting into these 
informal, like casual, yet highly emotionally intense relationships with people that I meet online. And I have, I feel like I do this thing where in the first few weeks, it's so intense and it feels so good, not just for me, but also for the other person. And then it goes away in like just as quick as it came. And um, I deleted my Tinder and I don't want to download any more dating apps. And I've said that before, I have, but that was before I knew I was an addict. Now I know that I really can't. Another one would be having sex when I'm not ready. I don't know what the difference between sobriety and abstinence would mean. I think you have to figure that out for yourself. What, what kind of worries me is um, hypersexuality is such a big manifestation of my bipolar disorder. And oftentimes it feels like something that I can't, I don't have full control over. So... I, I, but I, but I do think at this time I have to be willing to abstain from sex and because, because if I get involved with somebody sexually, I just feel like the emotional part is just going to come along with it and I'm going to relapse and that's not what I want. And I also like random cam sex, like I've, I've only done this a couple times when I was really just like amped up. I don't want to do that either because I don't know. I just don't want to, I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable. It, on the one hand, it's consensual, I guess. But on the other hand, I'm an addict. And so I don't want to replace one addiction for another one. That's not necessarily healthy nor conducive to my recovery. Uh so I looked up stuff on how to start sobriety and like coming up with a sobriety plan. And one thing that I, that I read is early recovery can be a time of profound loneliness as individuals are no longer socializing in ways they used to. And this is true. I, I used to social, a big part of how I socialize is having these guys to talk to and just kind of like dump all my emotions onto. Um, but Again, I don't, I don't want to engage in that because by doing that, I'm initiating emotional intimacy, which is, which is a trigger. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard because I know myself to be quite intense. It's, it, if I were to truly be myself in, in front of everybody, I just, I, I, I feel like I come on too strong and most of the time I'm really trying to cons like refrain from putting my whole self out there until I know that you're going to be okay or that you're going to be entertained by my intensity. And because of that, I keep a lot of emotional distances in my personal relationships, even including my family. And it doesn't mean that I care about them less. It doesn't mean that I love them less or any of that. It's just I'm, I'm aware that my energy can be, it can be triggering for other people. And it can be too much for other people. And I used to resent that. I used to resent when people couldn't handle me. But now I'm, now I'm realizing that if I want to have 
healthy relationships with healthy people, then I need to learn how to manage my energy and manage my intensity better and in healthier ways. And one of the best ways for me to do that is through creative pursuits like like this and writing poetry and journaling. So I have all the tools. I do. And having, like, I really do think having come to terms with the bipolar thing is helping me tremendously right now. Because when I first found out I had bipolar disorder, the first thing I did was seek out information, seek out knowledge, seek out professionals who could help me. And I, I, I was like always willing to get better because of how awful it felt to have those uh, like terrible mood swings, right? And that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like, oh, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And if I don't want to feel this way anymore, then I have to put in the hard work to not. And I really encourage anyone who suffers from either mental illness or addiction or both to be informed. You need to have the language to understand what's happening to you, to gain a concept of it. And when you do that, when you gain knowledge and when you become more educated about what's going on, strangely enough, you're able to detach who you are, like your personality and your self-worth, how you see yourself from the mental illness or the addiction. You're able to detach. And I think this detachment is essential. If you continue to see yourself as a depressed person rather than a person with depression or a bipolar person versus a person with bipolar, it's, um, it's different. It's different. And sometimes I, I am like, I will say I'm, bi I'm a, bi I'm bipolar. I don't say I have bipolar. And I think that's really up to the individual to decide depending on how they're feeling at the moment. A big part of sobriety for sex and love addiction is refraining from dating for at least a year. This is going to be very hard, but because I don't, most of the time I found people through Tinder and dating apps. So if, if I don't um, download those, that's one way I can refrain from dating. Um, once in a while, I'll have people just in my day-to-day -day life show interest and want to like pursue more with me. And I think that in the case that happens, I'm just going to be very honest with them and be like, Hey, I am, I am, I am a recovering sex and love addict and I am refraining from dating anybody. And I, I hope that you don't see that as a rejection, but I, I need to do this for, for myself. And when you phrase it in that way, you know, people have to respect that. Like, what are you going to do? Be like, no, like, I don't care if you're addicted. It's all about what I want. Like, obviously, then you're a terrible person and I don't want to date you anyways. Okay. <laughs> the next one is building a support system because sobriety is so much harder to, to do, I guess, alone. Honestly, trying to do anything alone is hard. It is hard. So you need to surround yourself, or I need, I don't know. I need to surround myself with people who support my sobriety. And I'm really, I'm so grateful that there is 
a a group out there, the the SLAA group out there for me to attend. And I don't have a sponsor on it. Like my therapist kind of brought it up. She was like, maybe you want to find a sponsor. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. You know, I have to be, I don't know. I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but I do want to be around other sober people. So I reached out to, I reached out to someone in the group and then, you know, my, my closest friends know. And I told some friends um, to kind of help me stay accountable to sobriety. And these are people that I trust and value in my life. And I'm so, so grateful that I'm able to have, you know, have friends who really do care about me and my well-being. And I know I like I don't take that for granted at all. The next thing is structure. You need structure in your life. And this one's hard. This one's really hard. I hate rigid schedules. One of my strengths is being very flexible and adaptable. But on the other side of that, I have a really hard time maintaining strict routines and rituals like that. The fact that I was able to do the 40-day, 40 40-night 40 prayer is a huge deal for me. I, I have a really hard time staying consistent with anything, anything. The irony, my Korean name, Hangyeol, it means consistency. Ha ha ha, ha 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 ha, so funny. But because I did the 40 days of prayer, that gives me enough confidence to feel like I can maintain. It doesn't have to be super strict. It doesn't have to be super rigid, but I can create a structure for myself where I won't be so easily um, triggered, I guess. And some of the suggestions that websites had is you need to dedicate time for recovery uh, and I, I see what I'm doing right now as part of my recovery plan, being able to talk about it and open up about it. It's, it's so healing for me. And I, I really hope that in my, like, because this is a healing thing for me, I hope that there are people on the other end of this who listen and that this can be healing for you. I know a lot of people have a hard time talking about these vulnerabilities, talking about things that, you know, society says we should be shameful of. And for some reason, I'm the complete opposite. It's like the more I talk about it, the more I'm open about it, the the healthier it is for me. So, you know, I, I just feel like the universe or the higher power God makes people different and unique so that we can be there for each other. And I think that's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. I used to resent people who are neurotypical and didn't have to deal with anxiety, depression, mood swings, and all of that. But these people like that are people that I now can rely on to support me. So instead of resenting them or instead of being jealous of them, I, I... I'm really grateful that they're not like me, you know, and that, yes, they might not completely understand what I'm going through, but they're willing to, they're willing to try. And that means a lot. And the best example of that is my mom. My mom is neurotypical. Like, I don't know how else to say it. My mom is very 
normal <laughs> and she hasn't necessarily had a lot of traumatic things happen she did have she did have thyroid cancer and she did marry my father who's who's a bit of a whack job like myself and she like in like when she realized that I was I had bipolar disorder her way of thinking her way of judging people changed a lot and she became a lot more open-hearted. And we talk about this. We talk about how before she would judge people and now and this is the same with my dad too. And now they look at people who do odd behaviors and they're like, Oh, maybe that person is mentally unstable like my daughter. And in that process, there's more compassion. And I think that's really beautiful. I think that's so beautiful. Another part of the structure for me would be guided and silent meditation followed by prayer. This is like so sacred to me and I'm so, I'm so, so happy about prayer. And I know this might, this might put certain people off. I get it, but it's my truth. So I'm just, that's what works for me. That's what it is for me. You know, whenever I'm having a hard time, I'll, I'll fucking be like, Hey God, I need some help. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe I need to do a few more chores. I don't know. My refrigerator needs to be cleaned, but I don't know. I don't want to clean it right now. And the last thing is identify and assess your triggers that put you at risk of relapse. So that can be people, places, times, or activities. And for me, it's Friday and Saturday nights because when this, because like when this addiction really started to fuck with me, it was in college. And in college, I used to go out a lot every Friday, every Saturday, less so as a, as a senior and not at all as a junior, but, but even after college, I like to go out. I like to have fun. I don't get like wasted or anything, but if I do go to a club, I'm going to make out with someone. Like I'm very good at snagging people at parties. Um, I remember I was at this one party, house party, that one of my friends was throwing. And I showed up there pretty late, so people were already kind of drunk. And I knew most of the people at the party because we all worked together. And I don't I don't fuck people I work with. That's That would be a terrible, terrible idea. So I like zoned in on this one guy who I, I really didn't know who he was at all. And like somehow I ended up, ha you know, Somehow I ended up bringing him home with me and I took his virginity. And I just thought it was funny because I really, I remember, I remember that party. I just like zoned in on him, just like, who is this cutie? And I didn't care about anything else. So if I go out, if I go out to parties, if I go out to the clubs, if I go out to a bar, just anywhere where sexual tension is there, you, I, I can take that and really make that into something and so oh fuck that means that I can't go to a lot of these places unless I go with friends and I have to be very very intentional about it but I mean with with the pandemic and all I don't I'm not worried about that right now but still Fridays and Saturdays has been really rough and that's why I'm gonna try and find a serving job so that I can still get my um, stimulation being around people. And by the end of the night, hopefully I'm so tired that I won't have time to be 
a sex and love addict for that night and just go to sleep. And that way I also make money. You know, making tips is it's instant gratification. It feels so good. And I also think that I need to stop smoking weed. And I don't have, I don't really have a problem with alcohol. Once in a while, I, I have a glass of wine, but shit, sometimes I'll have a glass too many and that's when I can start texting people. It's scary. I have a lot of contacts on my phone who I can just booty call and I know that they will do it because they don't, they don't care about me. They just care about getting their needs met. And when I'm drunk, I don't care about them. I just care about, you know, getting my needs met, whatever those needs are, my addiction met my fix. So I should probably, I don't really feel a need to delete those numbers though, but maybe I should just because I'm not really, I don't know. Like the one person that I think will, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone on there right now where I'm just like, I would probably text them when I'm drunk. See, it's complicated. It's complicated. Sobriety. Mm. So we'll see. I'm really hoping that by speaking this out loud and promising myself, promising to myself out loud like this will continue to hold me accountable and that people in my support network can help me stay accountable for this. This shit is even, this shit is harder than dealing with bipolar disorder. Because with bipolar disorder, at least there's medication, you know, medication helps a lot. But with this, this is some like deep rooted shit. And my, my therapist wants me to talk about what these underlying beliefs are that causes these fears of abandonment or causes these fears of insecurity when I'm not with somebody. And I, it has a big part to do with my, my early relationship with my dad, where he just focused so much on me being an extension of him. And that created a pretty toxic cycle. And then on top of that, my mom used me as like she would talk about her marital problems with me as a child and that's really inappropriate and so my early relationships with my parents that you know I feel like that's where that's where shit got fucked up but we're all we've all grown there's so much better parents now and I'm at a place where I love that I love them unconditionally I was journaling about this and I think that at this point the only thing that could really fuck me up, I feel like I can handle a lot of things. I feel like I can handle rejections. I've handled so many rejections. I've handled, um, you know, mental illness. I've handled, like, I'm, I'm getting a grip on this addiction thing. Like, I'm willing to work through it. The only thing that could really fuck me up is losing a family member. And I, on like, I don't even want to think about that because that shit will really fuck me up. So I love them a lot. And, you know, they're also part of my support system. My mom knows. And I, I just kind of want everyone in my life to take this seriously along with me because 
I do want to get better. And I know that if I do get better, I can be, I can be better for other people too. And we're all connected and we're all here to help each other. We're all here to lift each other up. And that's what, and in order to do that, you need to first work on yourself and make sure that you can take care of yourself before you take care of others. And I have to take care of myself first. I can't take care of anyone else right now. Um, and that may sound harsh, but these are, you know, you have to, you have to create boundaries. That's really important. A lot of people don't have a good, good, clear um, boundaries with other people. And it creates a lot of resentment. It creates, a, you know, it's fertile ground for abusive relationships. So yeah, sobriety. Day one, day one, I got this. I have an app on my phone. No dating for one year. Oh gosh. So this is happening. This is actually happening.